1 Corinthians chapter 4. How many of you are thankful for air conditioners today? Amen. And all week it's been warm already and will continue to be warm, so thankful that we have a comfortable place that we can come and assemble in tonight. Let's have a word of prayer and then we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. Lord, I'm thankful for each person who is here this evening. God, I pray that you would use your word to speak to our hearts tonight, that you'd help us to see exactly how it applies to our lives, that you'd help us uh, to make the application where it's needed and to to uh, make the changes that may be needed. And I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. If we were open to discussion on Wednesday nights, I would begin the message by asking how many of us know what the Apostle Paul has been addressing in his letter to this point to the Corinthians. And some of you would know the answer. Others of you would be like, Man, I think I know, but I'm not sure. And then others of you would have no idea. So to avoid any embarrassment tonight, I'm just going to remind us what the Apostle Paul has been writing about. He has been writing about and dealing with the subject of division between the church members. We should know very well by now that that division has been rooted in the different people and their loyalty to different spiritual leaders in their lives. We know the primary uh, individuals dealt with or, or covered to this point has been the Apostle Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and Christ. And as Paul was writing, and as we looked last week at a couple of verses, we watched as Paul said, I've tried to show you and I've tried to use these things to illustrate what we as ministers are. And he said, we are servants, we are stewards, we are just servants. That's, it's all we are, is we are just people doing the work of God. And in previous message, he has said that some water, some, some, or some plants, some water, and then some get to see the harvest, etc. And yet, as all this was happening, as all this was taking place, the Apostle Paul in verse uh, 5 and 6, or 6 and 7 rather, uh, spoke of their pride and how they were puffed up and, and how basically they thought they were better than one another, be, better than one another. And Paul had to remind them that all they were, every one of them, were sinners saved by grace. And so they were not better because they followed this person and they were not better because they followed this personality. The, the only thing that they had to glory in and the only thing that they had to boast in was their personal testimony of salvation that came through Jesus Christ. And last week I tried to remind us that if we're not careful, sometimes we let a personal pride come into our spiritual lives. We start looking at who we are and, and what we've come from or maybe who we are in comparison to other people. And it is easy for us to start thinking too highly of ourselves. And we have to remember, we definitely have to remember that all we are are sinners saved by grace. And, and there's nothing that distinguishes me from you and you from anyone else. If a person is saved, it is because the grace of God has been applied to their lives. And so we have to be careful to guard against that pride. Now this evening, I know that at some point in the past I've had to have dealt with this thought. I've had to have dealt with this idea. And so just stay with me as we go through this uh, the next few moments. Tonight I want us to imagine, if you would please, that I am wanting to learn something new, okay? I'm wanting to add something to my personal repertoire. I want to know how to do something in the very near future 
that I do not know how to do today. That being said, there are many ways in which I could try to go about learning that new skill or that new interest, whatever it may be. I could read about it. I could listen to things about it. There are many different ways in which I could go about trying to learn such a thing. But one of the best things for me, and I think for many people, would be this. I would like to learn something. You know how to do it. Would you please what? Would you show me how to do it? Would you please show me how to do it? See, I can read all I want, and I can get a little bit from that, and I might get quite a bit from that. But if someone will show me what to do, well, that will help everything I've read make sense, come alive, and make it that much easier for me to use it in this new interest that I have. I could listen to someone talk about it. I could listen to them lecture on it for, for hours, if not days, if not weeks, months, or years like the ministry. But you learn so much more by having it shown to you. And so this evening I'd like us to think about just a very simple question, a very simple thought. Suppose I came to you tonight and I said this. How do I do this? Would you please show me how to do this? Now I know that that's an open-ended question, so you're sitting here saying, show you what? Well, just imagine anything. I come to you, though, and I say, I, I want to learn how to do this. Would you show me how to do it? Here's what I know. Here's what you know. Here's what anyone knows that has any common sense. We can only show someone what we know ourselves. Amen. See, if you come to me and you say, hey, Kyle, show me how to do this. If I don't know how to do it, guess what I cannot do? I cannot show you. If I come to you and I say, would you show me how to do this and you don't know how to do it? You're not going to be able to show me. You may be able to talk. You may be able to talk for a long time. But you will not be able to show me. In order for us to be able to show someone anything, we have to know it ourselves and we have to be able to do it ourselves. So without the ability or without the practice of it in our own lives, whatever that may be, we cannot show it to anyone else. Now tonight we're going to be in look, begin looking in verse number 8. Verse number 8. We're going to see a side of the Apostle Paul that we don't see very often. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 8. Paul says, Now ye are full, now ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us. Ye are full, ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us. 
Here's what we're going to detect in verse number 8. We're going to detect it again in verse number 10. We're going to see that Paul implements a little bit of sarcasm as he writes to these believers. Because, see, here's the thing. In verse number 8, they had not reigned as kings without the Apostle Paul and others. But what the Apostle Paul is doing, what it seems as though he is trying to paint in, this, in, in the minds of the people is this, is this idea that, wow, you guys have finally arrived. You know, you're, you're loyal to Paul, you're loyal to Apollos, you're loyal to Cephas, you're, you're loyal to any number of men who have had some influence in your lives. You are so puffed up, you are so proud, you glory in these things that you received as though you did not receive them. That's what he talked about in verse number 7. And he says, you are full and you are rich and you have reigned as kings without us. Essentially what Paul is saying with the touch of sarcasm is this. Man, guys, you've accomplished something we haven't been able to accomplish. He says in verse number 8, And I would to God ye did reign, that we might also reign with you. That we also might reign with you. What's he saying? He's saying this, I wish you were as good as you thought you were. Because if you were as good as you thought you were, then maybe we could hang out with you and, and you know, reign with you. We know that this happens sometimes, do we not? That people are much better in their own minds than what they really are? All right, and so this is what the Corinthian believers are dealing with. This is what they're struggling with. They are vaunted up in their mind. They are puffed up. They, have, they are boasting now, etc. And so Paul says, man, you guys have arrived. You have accomplished it. You are doing fantastic. I wish you were as good as you thought you were. So in verse number 9, he says this of himself drawing a pretty sharp contrast for them. He said, For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. I don't know about you, but whenever I read verse 9, I don't think of it really the way that it ought to be thought of. See, as I read verse 9, and as I've read verse 9 so many times throughout my Bible reading, I read it from the perspective of a man living in the United States in the 20th and 21st century. I know that we know this, but we sometimes lose sight of this, that we cannot read the Bible from our own immediate personal context. You understand that, right? Okay, I, I thought we would understand that, but, but there's a difference, okay? And I want to explain the difference for just a moment, okay? Paul said, for I think, or, or it appears to me as though God hath set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you were to go back a couple of thousand years ago, what you would find of certain governments would be this, that if you were a convicted criminal or if you were a captive of an army, then here's what could happen. There would be these coliseums or there could be there's a, these arenas where convicted criminals or, or uh, again, the prisoners of wars, they could go into these arenas or they would be forced into these arenas and somehow they would be executed in front of an audience and that was considered to be entertainment for the people looking on. So sometimes they might just be executed in front of everyone. There might be times that they were burned at the stake. There might be times where they were having to fight wild animals that would eventually destroy them. There could be many ways in which they would die, but the death of the criminal or the prisoner of war, that was always considered to be the main event which would happen at the end. 
So what Paul is saying is this. You guys are rich. You guys are full. Ye have reigned as kings. I wish you were as good as you thought you were so that we might be able to reign with you. He said, this is how I feel our ministry is going as apostles, that we are appointed to death and that we are, are the ones who are going to be paraded in at the end and we are going to be made the spectacle and we are the spectacle to the world, to the angels and to men. So notice in verse number 10 he says, we are fools for Christ's sake. Isn't that how the world viewed the Apostle Paul? Paul, you're just a fool. Paul, you're crazy. Paul, you're nuts. Paul, you're ridiculous. He says of himself and those who would travel with him and fellow apostles, he says, we are fools for Christ's sake. Ah, but ye are wise in Christ. You know, myself and the other apostles, we're just too ignorant, I guess. We're fools for the cause of Christ. We're fools for His sake. But you people are wise. He says, we are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Now, I've said this throughout different sermons in the past, and I want to say this again. Do you realize how Paul is painting himself? He's not exactly boasting of himself. He's not exactly building him up, himself up before the people. He is saying we are fools, we are weak, and we are despised, and yet you, in your minds, you think that you are wise, you think that you are strong, and you think that you are honorable. And guess what? These people were not at all the things they thought they were. So here's the Apostle Paul, again, implementing a little bit of sarcasm, a little bit of facetiousness, trying to get their attention. And so notice what he said in verse number 11. He said this, Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. What's the ministry look like for the Apostle Paul? Well, it's not glamorous, is it? It's not anything impressive. It's not anything to be proud of or to rejoice in. So he says, right now, this present hour, as the Apostle Paul was writing, he said, in this very hour, we are hungry, we are thirsty, we are naked, we are buffeted, or we are beaten. And he said, and we have no certain dwelling place. We don't even have a place to call home right now. In verse number 12, he said, in labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and the offscouring of all things unto this day. Notice what he said in verse number 12. He said, we're reviled. We are persecuted, we are defamed, or we are lied about, and we are made as the filth and the offscouring or the scum of this world. They're not highly thought of. Can you tell? So here's the Apostle Paul, and he says, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're naked, we're going, out with the, going without so many of the basic necessities of life, we are buffeted, we have no certain dwelling place, 
and he says, we are reviled, we are persecuted, we are defamed, and we are made as the filth and the offscouring or the scum of this world. He says in verse 14, I write these things, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. What does that mean? It means this. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you understand some things, believers. I'm trying to help you see that you're not as great as you think you are. And so as Paul is describing the circumstances for himself, as he is describing the situation for he and the others, notice again what is said in verse number 12. And labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, and persecuted, we suffer. Being defamed, we entreat. He said, I I want you to notice how we're responding to how we're treated. When we are reviled, we bless those who have done the reviling. When we are persecuted, we suffer it or we tolerate it. We endure it. We, we bear it. And when we are defamed or we're lied about, we entreat it. Or again, we, we don't defend ourselves necessarily. We, we don't attack the ones who have attacked us. We are trying to respond in a Christ-like manner. Is this making sense? Believers, you're not as great as you think you are. All this pride and all this arrogance and being puffed up and and thinking that you are so special and you are superior, if you were what you thought we were or what you thought you were, we would rejoice in that because it would make our lives so much better. But here's what I feel like as an apostle. I feel like we're the last ones in the show, so to speak, the ones who have been appointed to death. We're the fools and you think you're wise, etc., etc. And he said, I want you to see that this is what life is really like for us and what we're doing to try to respond in a way that would be pleasing to God. Again, I'm not telling you this to try to embarrass you or to shame you, but I'm trying to warn you and I am trying to help you, believers. So notice what he said in verse 15. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ... Yet have ye not many fathers? What does it mean to have 10,000 instructors? It means this, to have 10,000 teachers. You've got Apollos, you've got Paul, you've got Cephas, and you could have 9,997 more. Paul said it does not matter how many teachers you have. Yet have ye not many fathers? He says, for in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. So you understand what Paul has just said in verse number 15? You can have thousands of teachers, but you only have one spiritual father. And you know what Paul said? I am that spiritual father in your life. 
Now, if anyone knew who saved them, the Apostle Paul knew who saved them, and that was Christ Jesus. You understand that? He said, for in Christ Jesus, or for or for through Christ Jesus, I have begotten you, or, or I birthed you through the gospel. Paul understood who did the saving, okay? So we don't have to question that. But Paul also knew who had been instrumental in the lives of so many in regard to their salvation. So as all this division is taking place, as all this is happening, as all this is going on, he said, guys, you've got to remember, you can have 10,000 instructors, but you do not have multiple fathers. You only have one spiritual father, and I am the one who, through Christ, begot you through the gospel. So in verse 16, he says this, Wherefore, I beseech you, I beseech you. What does it mean to beseech? Does anybody know? Beg, to ask, to implore, to plead with. Guys, I want you to do something. Be ye followers of me. I'm beseeching you. I am begging you. I am pleading with you. I am asking you to do something. Follow me. Follow me. Now here's what we know. If we'll just use a little bit of common sense and just a little bit of logic through this, Paul is not asking for their loyalty. Paul is not saying in the midst of their division, listen, you need to rally around someone, and since I'm the one who's had the most spiritual influence in the lives of most of you, then you need to rally around me and you need to follow me. That is not at all what the Apostle Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is this, in the midst of your arrogance, in the midst of your pride, in the midst of you being puffed up, in the midst of all this division and all this strife and all this envying, where you think you have arrived, here is what I am pleading with you to do. Follow my example of trying to respond in this life in a Christian manner. When we have been despised, when we have been reviled, when we have been defamed, when we have been mistreated, when we have been buffeted, when we have been beaten, when all these things have happened, here is what we have tried to do. We have tried to respond as a Christian ought to respond. Now, guys, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not trying to humiliate you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to warn you. This is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to live like a Christian with a Christian attitude, with a Christian response, etc. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I am begging with you. I am begging you, please follow or imitate or mimic what you see in me. Paul was not asking, get this please, Paul was not asking the believers of Corinth to do anything amongst themselves that he was not doing in his own personal life with those who were not even men and women of the faith. Does this make sense? 
It was a lost world. It was an outside world who would persecute, who would buffet, who would mistreat, who would defame, who would revile, and all these other things. And Paul is saying, I want you to mimic me. I want you to imitate me. I want you to take the pattern that I have given you and that I have shown you, and I want you to do that. I am showing you how to respond in the midst of circumstances where you might want to respond differently. The only way that Paul could say, follow me, the only way that he could say, be a follower of me, mimic me, impersonate me, follow my example, is if he had an example to give them. If he had an example to give them. See, Paul did not say, believers, man, I have fouled up recently, and and I'm not the one you want to look at, but I'm going to tell you what to do anyways. Because there's no authority in that. There's no authority, you know this, that there is no authority in the statement, I'm going to tell you what to do even though I don't do that myself. The authority that Paul had in saying, be ye followers of me, came from this, I am going to show you and I am showing you how to respond and what kind of attitude you're supposed to have. I'm going to show you, I'm not going to tell you, I'm doing this, I'm not just talking about it. That makes all the difference in the world. So here's Paul and he's writing to a bunch of immature baby Christians who ought to be far further along than what they are. And at this point, after he has said so many things, he has just boiled it down to this, to this point. Guys, just follow my example. I'm going to show you what to do, and you just need to do what I tell you to do. Now this evening, for just a moment, all right, just for a couple of moments, bear with me. Suppose that God allowed your life to cross paths with another believer who was immature. It's possible. (laughs) I don't think I'm going to convince some of you of anything tonight. But I just want you to know, it's possible. Okay, so, you know, here you are, you're a Christian, and, and, and I'm a Christian. Here we are, we're going through life, and our scenario is far different than the scenario of the Apostle Paul. But here we are, we're going through life, and for whatever reason, God allows our path to cross the path of another believer who is not as developed in their spiritual lives as maybe us or as they should be. But imagine for just a moment, the person expressed some kind of interest, some kind of desire to grow in their spiritual life. And 
and you're the one that God has brought into their life. I want to grow, and God's brought me into your life. You could be a mentor to this person who now has an interest in spiritual things. Could the words come from our mouth, Be ye followers of me. I want you to just imitate and mimic what I do. Just just imitate and mimic what I do, and you will be a follower of Christ. Does that... Does that sound weighty at all? It does. Maybe this hasn't been the most compelling message to this point, but it needs to get compelling, okay? Whether I'm doing the best presentation of this or not. Think about that statement for just a moment. Think about that question for just a moment. If someone said, I want to develop and I want to mature in my Christian life, could we say to them, I'll tell you what to do. Follow my Example. You know why that's a compelling thought if we'll give it some attention? Because so many people sitting in churches today, and I'm not just talking about our church, I'm talking about churches in general. So many people sitting in churches, they know what to tell someone but they could not honestly say, follow me. Well, you know, I, I want to grow and I want to be the right kind of a husband. Well, hey, that's, that's very noble. Oh, okay, let's go to the Word of God and let's see what the Word of God has to say about that. Hey, I've already read that part and, and I'm not really fully understanding what all that means. Okay, well, then, man, shucks, I don't know what else to tell you. I, I just know that that's what the manual says. That's how most Christians, professed Christians, sitting in churches would have to do it. Because here's the thing, most men sitting in churches could not give a proper example to the young man wanting to be the right kind of a husband. (laughs) See, they're not doing it, so how could you say, just follow me and you'll get to where you need to be? Okay, a young lady says, well, you know, we're a newlywed and, you know, we just, we're having troubles and, and I know that I'm not the right wife. I know that I'm not what I'm supposed to be, but I really want to be. You know what so many ladies sitting in churches would do? If they had the sense to point that young lady to the scripture, they would say something like this. Well, the Bible just says you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. Well, I, I mean, I, I've already read that, but I don't really fully understand all that. And, and I don't know how it really works in life. So at that point, you know what the breakdown is for so many people? The ladies aren't able to say with any kind of authority, Honey, just just follow my example and you'll be the right kind of wife. Because, see, they can't show what they don't know. (sighs) I'm trying to be gracious here, but 
Some of us look very bored this evening, okay? And I'm not trying to bore us, but I don't know if you've ever done this, but I have looked at people sitting in church before. And I have thought it is not that they are short on advice. They can tell this person what to do. They can tell this person what to do. They can tell this person what to do. They know what the answer is here. They are not short on advice. But I have said to Susie on many occasions, God forbid I ever find myself in a situation like theirs. But if I followed the example rather than the words spoken, I would be in a place I don't want to be. I would have a marriage that I don't really want. I would be raising kids in a direction we really don't want to go. I would have a spiritual life that was very inconsistent and hit and miss at best. I mean, I wouldn't have a burden for anyone. It would just be going through the motions. I'm telling you, there are so many people in the Christian life that if I just said, all right, babe, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow their example. I would not get any place I want to be. we can sit around and talk about it for hours. Someone may say, what arrogance of the Apostle Paul to say something so bold. It is bold, but he knew he was living it. He, he just knew, not in, in and of himself, but with the power of God. He knew, I am living it. So therefore, he was able to say to a bunch of immature believers who thought they had arrived in the spiritual world, you have not arrived at all. You think you're all this and you are not that. Here is what Christianity really looks like. It's not that glamorous. But here is how you respond in the midst of conflict and adversity. And friends, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just trying to help you. So would you please just follow my example and you would be so much better off. Think about it for just a moment. What if we said to that individual, Hey, 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 listen. I know you're going to think I sound arrogant whenever I say this. I'm not trying to sound arrogant. That is not at all. You, you just got to understand and you got to trust me. Suppose we said to that individual who was wanting to grow and to mature and develop, we said, hey, just, just do what I do. Just do what I do and you'll be okay. Where would that person end up? What would their spiritual lives look like in five years? What would their personal lives look like in five years? What would their priorities look like in five years? What would their faithfulness look like in a few years? I mean, what would that individual look like if they followed our example? We know the answer. Is that really where we want them to end up? I don't know about you, okay? I, I don't know about you. I think most of us would say this, but I do know for myself, 
I want to be able to look at my kids and say, kids, just follow dad. Just, just follow dad. Kids, you're going to see that I'm not perfect. You're going to see that I make mistakes. But even in that, I think what you'll see is a dad who repents and tries to make things right and tries to continue serving the Lord. I want to be the person who says to my kids, follow me and it get them where they want to go and where they need to go. I want to be able to say to the teenagers in the teen class right now, hey kids, I know that some of you all don't, you all don't have much of an example. I, I know that some of you, you come from broken homes. I know that some of you never see your dad or your mom or whatever. I, I know that, but kids, I'll tell you what, if you'll just follow me and Miss Susie, you'll be okay. I want that. I want to stand before you as a church and as best as I can to the best of my ability, I want to be able to say to you, follow my example. Not that you're going to be following perfection, but follow my example. What kind of desire do you have? Have you even thought about it? Because I can promise you there are people following your example. And it may very well be that some people are in the mess they are in because they followed your example. I'm not trying. As the Apostle Paul said, I'm not trying to shame anyone. I just want to warn us. I just want to admonish us. Could we say to them, just do what I do. I'm going to show you, and you'll get to where you need to be. Do you want that? Have you even thought about it lately? Let's all stand this evening and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. Lord, I don't know the heart of anyone any more than, than they know the heart of anyone. So, Lord, what, what may seem to be so in the out may not be so in the in. Lord, there may be some here this evening, and we just haven't thought about it like we should, the example that we are to others. And as a result, if we were honest, we probably couldn't look at too many people and just say, hey, follow me and you'll be okay. Lord, we need to think about it. Because there are some kids following our example. There are some grandkids following our example. There are some younger Christians who are looking at our example. God, there are some people who are just needing some help and they are needing some direction and they need an example to follow. They don't need to hear it one more time. They need to see it so that it all makes sense and so that it finally begins to click. God, I pray that you'd help us to be the kind of person who could truly say to that other soul, just follow me. I pray that you'd bless in Jesus' name. Amen.